Hello and welcome to our podcast. My name is Jillian. And my name is Kat. And this is Buggin' Out About's Halloween special. So Kat, what's your favorite part of Halloween? If I have to be honest, Jillian, as basic as it sounds, my favorite part of Halloween is the caramel apple spice drink from Starbucks. Not pumpkin spice. I'm not that basic. But the caramel apple spice. It's like drinking an apple pie. It's fantastic. What about you? I think my favorite part about Halloween is all the Halloween decorations, but not like very specific decorations. So I specifically like all of the spider decorations and all of the black cat decorations. Personally, I really love spiders and I have a tarantula myself. Oh, I do too. Oh, you, oh yeah, I forgot you've got the pink toe. Yeah. You have a rose hair? Yes. So my rose hair's name is Sekinetsu. We call him Nettie for short. Um, so when I see all of like the spider stuff i feel like i'm looking at Nettie and i want to buy it and then like the black cat stuff i think it's raya so i'll like buy these decorations but i'll leave them up year round so like for raya's birthday last year the uh, decoration on my door was the black cat from halloween but it was up in april so that's so cute okay so is there anything you don't like about halloween um traditionally I really do not like Halloween movies. First of all, because I'm a scaredy baby, I do not like scary movies. My sister forced me to go see The Nun with her. Um, One of the times I went back home, I did not enjoy that. I screamed in the theater. I am that person. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I am not a huge movie person. (laughs) Well, I got some bad news for you then, Jillian. Because today we are bugging out about movies with bugs. Scary movies with bugs. Scary movies with bugs. So the genre of movie we're talking about today can be classified as a horror movie, but there are actually specific genres that have to pertain to animals and for us today, namely arthropods. So there's two main genres that these things can cover. So the first genre is called a natural horror film. So a natural horror film is a subgenre of horror film that focuses on natural forces, which includes animals, typically animals or plants, and they are a threat to the humans in the movie, which to me, I always root for the animals, like Jurassic Park. I rooted for them to like take over the earth again. What about Little Shop of Horrors? Little Shop, I've never seen Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, I suggest it. I should watch that. So yeah, Little Shop of Horrors, that would be considered one of these natural horror films. The other genre of film that these could fit under is called a creature feature. That's probably the one most of our listeners are familiar with. Yeah, I've never heard of natural horror films. Creature feature. I mean, we've all heard creature feature. So what I gathered from what a creature feature is, is it's like a very distinct era of movies that focus on um, like (laughs) giant creatures like so they talk about the 1950s, 1960s cult classics, which oh, yeah. we will be covering some of those, which does include like the Japanese cult classics from the 1950s, like Mothra, which we will get to today. So those are two genres if you want to be more specific about what types of movies these are. Okay, so now let's go through some of the etymology of the stuff we'll be talking about today. Unfortunately, our etymology is not about entomology. Uh, The first word I want to talk about is the word monster. It comes from the Latin word, and I think I'm going to say this right, um, monere. It's M-O-N-E-R-E. It means worn. 
and it then developed into the word monstrum, which then became the word monster in English. Another word, horror. Uh, it comes from the Latin word horror, <laughs> H-O-R-R-E-R-E, which means to tremble or shudder. Maybe it's horror. Maybe it's horror. <laughs> and then the last word I'm going to say is movie, which is not a shocker. It comes from the shortened term for moving picture. Okay, that makes sense. Another thing then is why are we afraid of bugs? Why are bugs in our horror films? That's like one of the things that I feel bad about, like being someone who like studies bugs. I have lost like all like memory of like being terrified of them, which I know I used to be terrified of bugs. Like when I was a kid, I was so scared of them. I mean, I guess I really had, well, I, I wasn't, like, terrified. There are pictures of me, like, holding cockroaches and stuff. Right. But, like, seeing, like, a spider in your bathroom as a kid, you know, you're like, oh, my gosh, danger. And then you, you freak out and you call your mom. I mean, nowadays I have no, like, if I see a spider, my first reaction is to, like, oh, I'm going to pick it up, which is probably the wrong reaction to have. I'll be honest. It is but. the wrong reaction. <laughs> I'll tell you. That's because that reaction goes against all of your innate feelings so one of the reasons bugs give us an uneasy feeling is because swarming bugs or the presence of bugs represent plague death famine and that causes fear to us just based off of pure survival based off of pure natural selection you those who are are the scaredest live the longest right they avoid the things that could hurt them and so if you see a plight of locusts plaguing your field well, that to you, that means all your crops are dead, your family's going to starve, you're going to die. I guess I'm going to be the one who's, <laughs> who's going to starve, my crops are going to die. If I see a locust, I'm like, ooh, locust, better ooh, catch locust. it for my collection, you know? Right. Um, presence of bugs on your food could mean rotting meat, which will make you sick. Um, they're found on the bodies of loved ones and loved ones die. So just on the surface, the presence of bugs to us just seems like it's a negative thing, right? So we want to avoid it. Another issue fear of bugs is taught. When you see a spider in the house and you scream, what do your parents come do? They come squash it, right? Or they say, it's bad. Get rid of it. People tell you, oh, be afraid of a bee because it stings you. They don't educate you. They just tell you to be a, to be afraid of it. I would like to add the disclaimer because I know somewhere my friend Cameron is going, but what if you're allergic? To the people like Cameron, if you are allergic, it's all right. We feel you. I, I hope you don't die from a from a bee or a wasp thing, specifically to my friend Cameron, who's allergic to bees and wasps. <laughs> <laughs> but you can still respect them. Right, right. Uh, the first time I got stung by a bee, I've only been stung once, and it was by a honeybee that was on campus. I was trying to hold it, so that's probably why I got stung. I was, like, reaching out my hand, like, hey, you can come land on me. And then it stung me in my leg, and I was like, all right, I guess I was asking for that one. You are a smart one. <laughs> but then the other thing is humans are very wary of things when we can't see true emotion. That's why masks are so scary to us. If someone's wearing a mask, we can't see their face. We can't gauge what their intentions are. So when we look at a bug, a bug doesn't have a humanoid face, right? So we can't empathize with it. Empathize. Empathize. <laughs> right, empathize. Uh, but we can't relate to it, and therefore we're afraid because we can't gauge the intention. Do you think that's why a lot of people, like, whenever I ask people, like, oh, why why do you think you're afraid? They go, I don't know. Like, they just, 
it's the way they look or I, I'm just scared of them. Do you think it is like the innate fear and the fact that they do seem emotionless to us and that? I really do. I really do. And, you know, and then we take this emotionless look that they have and then we apply it to monsters or to the alien movies. So then that just reiterates this facial structure is something to be afraid of. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Do you think that like pertains to the legs thing too? That's another one I get commonly from people is that legs, like multiple legs freak them out. But that might just be like the innate bug thing. Like you see a bug and you're like, too many legs, that's a bug. No. Like. It could be that. It could just be because, again, we don't relate to that. We relate to a dog because it has four limbs and we have four limbs. We don't relate to a spider because we don't have eight limbs. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So... For those of you who are terrified by bugs, it's all right. We feel you. We know that that's a pretty natural reaction to have. I'm sure we can both admit to being scared of bugs in our lifetime. Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I worked with bugs, Eddie Katie did land on my leg. It was a cone-headed Katie did. And because I knew that they were like omnivorous and I've seen them eat meat and try to bite fingers, I screamed. I like screamed. I kicked the bug off my leg. It didn't come off, but I was, I shrieked. And another another person came running around the corner. They're like, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm just a baby." <laughs> like, That's embarrassing. I'm not gonna lie. That's kind of embarrassing. I, I I've mean, had cockroaches fall from the ceiling onto my head and just been fine. So I'm, well, this is two years ago. Like this is when I first first started working out with or first started working with bugs yeah working out with them I do bench ways. presses like <laughs> goliath tarantulas so yeah I, it wasn't until recently that I can truly say I'm not terrified of bugs anymore which That's I mean good. I guess that must be really good but speaking of being terrified of bugs what was the first movie you did the first movie um that I wanted to talk about so we have we wanted to talk, talk about um, big movies that have bugs, but a little bit of, like, some of the minor appearances, you know, the people who are in the running for some of these scary bug appearances. Um, the first one that I want to talk about is um, Indiana Jones. So in Indiana Jones, like, it's clear it's not a horror movie at all, in my opinion. Um, no. So it's Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, 1981, probably one of the most famous movies of all time with Harrison Ford. The the scary scene in it, I think for most people, or like one of the more relatable scenes where you would probably feel scared, is so they're like going into the temple, right? They're going to find whatever artifact they're going to find. Obviously, I'm not like a huge Indiana Jones buff, by the way I'm describing it. But anyways, they're in the temple, and he's bringing this other guy with him. So it's Indiana Jones and some guide or some other guy that's trying to benefit from finding this artifact. And the guy, they're well, they're walking through the temple, and they see all these spider webs hanging down. So that's like your first indication that, oh boy, here come the spiders, right? Well, when the spiders come on screen, the tour guide like turns around or whatever the heck the guy is, and he's got all these tarantulas on his back. And I remember watching this with my boyfriend, and the minute I saw this thing, the first thing I do is I 
I like immediately start yelling. I go, this is so wrong. Because tarantulas don't have spider webs like that. Like the minute I saw this, I was just like, no, I can't continue watching this scene because I know this is just going to be so dumb. And I'm sure someone somewhere is scared of this, but like this... There, if, like, if you know anything about tarantulas, you're like, this is not scary. Because the guy turns around, right? And they're, they're in South America. But the spider, or the tarantula on his back is a Mexican red knee. No, it's not. This is just what? a ton of Mexican red knees. And, well, I'm pretty sure it's Mexican red knees. Because I've watched the scene a couple times to try and gauge it. When I try to watch it on YouTube, it's all, like, really fuzzy quality. But I'm like, I'm... I'm pretty sure these are Mexican red knees on this guy's back. And I'm like, well, first of all, they really don't congregate like that. They're they're not Solitary. fond. Yeah, they're not fond of being social. And second, they don't lay hang they don't do hanging webs. Like tarantulas don't catch prey in their webs. There's not gonna be webs in this tomb or whatever this artifact thing is. And also, they would never survive in something like that unless there were other bugs or animals reproducing that they could catch and why would there be that many of them in this one tomb anyways i had a lot of issues with it i think this is where my dislike for indiana jones started to arise i have a lot of other problems with indiana jones and i'm sure a lot of people are gonna hate me for that but this is where it began where i decided i'm not a huge fan of indiana jones don't be inaccurate with your tarantulas, apparently. But that, that's what, like, half of these arachnid movies are, though, is just, like, huge inaccuracies. Of course, there are, like, limitations on what kinds of animals you can use in these movies. Right. I'm sure they don't want to, like, bring out some sort of, like, ornamental tarantula to, <laughs> to do some of these Ooh. things. Which, uh, for those of you who don't know, ornamentals are one of the more venomous species of tarantulas out there. Granted, no tarantula species has a potent enough venom to kill, like, a healthy human being. But anyways, I digress. Indiana Jones, no go. (laughs) Indiana Jones got it wrong. Did Harry Potter get it wrong? Okay, so I'm going to admit I did not completely rewatch the scene. I just... Because for me, so it's not, like, based off of any real specimen, per se. Like Right, and it is if, a magical world. Right, it's a magical world. It's like the Fantastic Beasts. None of, like, they're all kind of, like, loosely based off of real creatures, but, like, definitely not a real creature in existence. So with the spider in Harry Potter, I hear... I've had multiple people tell me this is where their fear of spiders really? rose from. The Harry Potter scene. Like, Tyler, Tyler is... Tyler had arachnophobia, like true arachnophobia from the Harry Potter scene. Like he would have dreams as a child and like wake up like sweating because he had dreams about the spider. I think mine was from the Hobbit. The Hobbit cartoon had a spider scene that did freak me out. I will admit it. So I guess like this giant spider comes and is like attacking Harry Potter and his friends and people are afraid of it. I I mean, okay, like I said, I am not the best person to talk to about these things because I have a really hard time sympathizing with people who have arachnophobia or any sort of fear of spiders. So don't ask me when it comes to these things. I am not very good at being sympathetic about it. That's funny. So another popular one. This one actually falls under horror. American Horror Story. Where do we see our appearances of bugs? Well, we have kind of two. 
uh, obviously in their intros, they're trying to be as freaky as possible in their intros, so they use a lot of swarming bugs in it, whether it's corpses with myiasis in the mouth or uh, swarms of flies, just that sort of thing, because swarming insects, it plays off of your entomophobia, and they also play off of your arachnophobia, because they'll do spider scenes. But my favorite bug scene from American Horror Story is actually, and spoiler alert for anyone, is in season one, when Violet finds her own dead body underneath the foundation of the house. It is covered in uh, blowflies, and you get hints of it through the first few, or through like the episode beforehand and throughout the episode during it because they have a fly infestation in the house and then she goes down and she finds her body covered in blow flies which is really cool because I really like flies I specifically like flies that hang out around dead things so I can see why that would be like terrifying though like blow flies because they're associated with corpses right so that one like I can understand I will admit flies are probably like I appreciate flies and I have a lot of respect for them I think they're really cool but they're probably the last like group of insects I would want to like personally like work with I've granted I work with them now absolutely opposite direction (laughs) flies are my number one I love flies the irony is is like I rear flies for my job now (laughs) so like I mean I'm fine with it they're cool they're they're actually kind of cute flies are really cool we'll talk about it more when we cover the movie the fly I'm excited for that one it's gonna be a good one so those were our runner-up movies we wanted to talk about that people are afraid of and whatnot but let's let's get into the big movies the ones that people probably know and have heard of so the first one so Kat and I each watched three movies we originally planned on like 10 but there's a lot of crazy there's a lot of material to cover between all these movies so we we watched three movies each or looked up three movies each the first one we want to talk about is arachnophobia so a lot of people have probably heard of or even seen the movie arachnophobia so a basic summary and spoiler alert if you were planning on watching this movie anytime soon but arachnophobia is basically about this so it starts off with this um arachnologist entomologist arthropodologist whatever you want to call him he's headed into the venezuelan um, jungles and they discover like this mutant species of spider that their their whole thing is like oh it has re- no reproductive organs like that's the only like f- naming factor of okay anyways i'm getting on a tangent of like why this movie is a little ridiculous but anyways they go they find this mutant tarantula or this mutant spider whatever it is and it ends up biting one of the crew members a guy who is just there to take photos and he dies spoilers <laughs> and when he dies they ship his body back to the united states but when they do one of the spiders is inside the casket <laughs> so this is how it ends up <laughs> it ends up in the united states i'm i don't remember what town it was called i i'm trying to block this movie out of my memory if you can't <laughs> tell so it ends up in this like um it ends up in the morgue like the mortician's place and it gets out and it ends up on this family's property and so then the movie is focused on the family like the family's experiences with these spiders namely the father because the father's a new doctor in town and anytime he sees a patient 
they end up dying from a spider bite to no fault of his own like they just happen to die of a spider bite so the whole town's like oh he's dr death he's killing everyone but really it's these spiders and it goes into this climax of the doctor dad fighting these spiders wow what a plot yeah um so that's a little bit about arachnophobia um it was created in the 1990s i believe steven spielberg had a hand in it which kind of surprised me kind of not um it made eight million dollars in its first weekend which was a shocker to me because i personally was not a fan i i probably would have gone to see it like when i heard it came out so i take that back i probably would have gone to see it because i want to i want to see a movie about bugs right um and overall it made 53.21 million dollars which made Steven Spielberg, I think this is the one that made Steven Spielberg super rich. One of the ones that made him super rich. One of the top directors, yeah. Yeah. Um, So anyways, let's dive into what's (laughs) what's wrong with this movie. So we would like to make note that we know these movies are not made to be 100% accurate. A lot of them do involve mutants. But with your creative freedom, you should still use some basic knowledge. And for me, it's like they use bugs to scare people, but they use bugs to scare people in such a ridiculous way. That's like kind of like my feeling behind it. So with arachnophobia, the first big, (laughs) like they get there, they're in Venezuela, which they did film in Venezuela, which I thought was super cool. They, (laughs) to catch the bugs, they do this thing where basically... They, like, gas this whole tree, and they wait for all the bugs in the tree to come falling out, and they collect them in, like, these, um, these bins. (laughs) So they just immediately gas a tree of bugs to collect anything and everything that's in it. And I was like, wow, that's probably the worst way to collect specimen. Does not sound very environmentally friendly. Talk about polluting your... Like, the least ethical way. Anyways, one of the things that falls out is, like, this giant tarantula. But, so tarantulas and true spiders are not the same thing. Like, tarantulas are part of the arachnid family. There are, they are technically spiders, but they're not true spiders. Like, they're their own category of spider. So if you hear me stumbling over a tarantula and spider a lot, that's probably why. But anyways, this tarantula <laughs> that kills this guy, which the guy was really annoying to begin with. He's like this photographer, and he's like, just what the world needs, more bugs. I'm like, why are you, why on-, are you on this expedition? Yeah, why are bugs? <laughs> yeah, no one's going to go on an expedition, like, knowingly that it's about bugs to do these. I, anyways, that's In beside the, world, the point. The world does need more bugs, by the way. But they do, one of the funniest things about this movie is that they do these close-ups of the spiders, tarantulas, whatever they are. Like, at that point, they're, like, fake or CGI. And they always look really dumb. Like, (laughs) they just look really dumb. They're, I can see why people would be afraid of them because they're meant to look scary. Like, that's not what they actually look like. Like, if you looked up a true picture of, like, spider faces you're gonna get a lot of different results because spiders are actually incredibly diverse and so are um tarantula like colors and patterns and stuff like that so you're gonna see a lot of diverse things but they've got like this really ridiculously 
looking tarantula which they claim is a spider and it kills this guy but tarantulas can't kill people so i'm already like at my wit's end with this movie and anyways so when the spider ends up in this new town right there's like this every scene is supposed to put you on edge like the spider is so close to these this family but it doesn't it doesn't harm any of them and the movie the family actually starts out really well the mom's like don't kill spiders in our new house it's bad luck let's catch them let's take them outside and the dad's like you know i have arachnophobia you know i'm scared of them i get paralyzed i can't look at them i can't touch them and the wife's like so nice she's like no let's let's respect these spiders and then the whole movie is just validating this guy's fears about spiders when in reality spiders really aren't that harmful to humans like in the u.s only six people a year die of spider bites or spider related things only six people a year that's such a small percentage (laughs) right so this whole movie is just validating people's fears about spiders anyways yeah so in general they get a lot of things wrong about the spiders (laughs) first of all the egg sacs of the spiders are like this gooey mass and it pulsates like like an alien egg sac it's so gross i'm like that's not that's not what a spider egg sac looks like at all nor do spider egg sacs pulsate no it was so it was so gross and so bad um and then like so the actual spiders used for this movies um what are they called they are avondale spiders from new zealand which the common name the most common name for them it's a type of huntsman spider and huntsmen are harmless like they're really large but they're pretty harmless Right, so that's what they're using for this movie. They're using like huntsman spiders and tarantulas here and there. But their whole thing is that it's a caste system of spiders. Like there's a queen spider. It's a, um, they aren't social. Huntsmen, well, huntsmen Are can huntsmen be, they can hang around other ones and they're like pretty okay being together. But not societal. But, like, no, they don't have a caste system, which was the whole like point of this movie is like, oh, we're killing all the drone spiders, but we need to find the queen spider. No. And that's like, this is, <laughs> this is so bad the whole time. And I think my, <laughs> my favorite part of like them fighting the spiders is that for some reason in a lot of these movies the go-to way to kill them is like flamethrowers like you have to use fire to kill these things so the ending scene is the the doctor dad that's his name to me he takes a paint can and a lighter and is trying to like flamethrower this queen spider and the funniest scene from it is when the spider's hiding in the wine rack and there's a close-up of its face and you see the flames in its eyes and it's like the oh funniest gosh. thing ever. It was hilarious. I was laughing watching this movie. It was it was pretty funny. And the whole time, Tyler is like, no. Tyler's like, this is, this no. Is not, this is, You're right. This isn't cool. So, oh, also, the spider shrieks. Like, when he kills it, it screams. Oh, oh, I'll tell you more, but I got one of those movies that did something you're going to laugh your head off. I'll Which, tell you later. They don't make noises like that. Some, like, some tarantulas can make noise, but it's not a shriek. Like, this was literally a shriek. I even wrote in all caps, it was shrieking. And then <laughs> he 
use it. the final way he kills the spider is just so so bad. He finds a nail gun and no. as the spider just so he flamethrowers the spider and the spider catches on fire and chases him around the basement. <laughs> so there's just this flaming spider running around the basement. And then the guy, he jumps at the guy. The queen spider jumps at the guy. And he takes a nail gun and shoots the spider. And it gets pinned against a wallboard into an electric panel. And, like, fries and dies. The end. That's arachnophobia. Wow. Well, I got some good news for you. The fly was not as inaccurate as that was. All right. Fly, actually a pretty good movie. So let's hear about The Fly. I'm excited to hear about The Fly. You know, I was really excited to do this one. Okay, so The Fly uh, came out in 1986, directed by uh, David Cronenberg, starring Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis, and Leslie Carlson. Just a quick summary. Basically what happens is a band creates, like, this teleportation machine, and when he goes in it, he accidentally splices his genetics with a fly's genes, uh, which results in him slowly turning into a fly. So, I kind of give it props because as far as the other movies I've researched has go- have gone, uh, this is pretty with it. This is pretty with it. So, the first sign of him turning into a fly was he started getting, like, these thick hairs. Ew. Uh, these... <laughs> Hairs are referred to in the bug world as either bristles or setae. Um, and the arrangement of bristles on Diptera or any arthropods in general is known as ketotaxy. And so ketotaxy is used uh, for identification and systematics of flies. Uh, and it's not just flies. You can use it to identify types of ticks in their larval stage, mites, and even beetles in their larval stage. So I thought that was really cool. The hairs are pretty accurate. Obviously, the setae and hairs, they're used for things like sensing the environment. In the case of flies, the bristles can be used to break apart food particles before they suck them up. And uh, this, I'm going to give a little bit of a PG-13 rating right here for this one. But I do think it's important to mention another indication he was turning into a fly was a very high sex drive, which is important to note just because male house flies mate multiple multiple times in their lifetime but the females only mate once okay so I having that. that distinction i think is important pg-13 sorry kids another sign of his change is his sugar craving also accurate uh house flies eat a lot of sugary substances and they can identify those sugars because of the chemoreceptors on their legs oh yeah that makes sense so totally accurate the most famous scene from this movie is the scene where he he's eating and he vomits onto his food. Oh. And he eats no. it back up. Oh no. And yes, this is a very true scene. Flies do vomit up. They vomit up saliva and other digestive enzymes onto solid food uh, because they have a sucking mouth part. They have a proboscis. So they can't bite and chew solid is it, food. Is a proboscis it doesn't have to be the curly ones that, like, butterflies have? No, it doesn't have to be curly. Okay. It can be, I mean, if you think, like, a mosquito, what they use, that's a proboscis. Okay, that makes sense. Right. So, and it sounds gross and disturbing when you think about 
spitting up on your food, putting those digestive enzymes on the food. But really, what are we doing inside our mouths when we're eating? We do have digestive enzymes exactly. in our saliva. We have the saliva. We have the digestive enzyme breakdown. It's literally the same stuff. It, we, we're just lucky enough to have it happen inside of our mouth <laughs> instead of on our plates. So if you had to rate the fly on accuracy, what would you give it? Um, Honestly, probably like a nine. <laughs> just because, I mean, some of the imagery and the costuming the effects maybe not that great but that's probably of its time though. when yeah it's of its time and really when i start comparing it to the other movies <laughs> any of its inaccuracies i think are very forgivable and they, they fall in line with mutant and i didn't want to pick it too much because i get that it's a human fly mutant so yeah i'd give arachnophobia a negative two in terms of accuracy like the spiders had eight legs so that was so that was right that was right something um anyways would you suggest people watch the fly absolutely i absolutely it is a cult classic um not for kids not for kids not a movie for kids in fact i don't know what was up with my movies my movies are just not a list of movies that are for kids but i think it's great yeah it's a it's a classic um, I think it is truly horrifying when you think about, God, how terrifying would that be? Just oh, by accident, I would be you grossed start, out. You start changing into this, you know, and I, I didn't go into all the scenes, but you know, him climbing on the walls and just at the end, the, at the end where he kind of explodes is a little different. The way they kill him is kind of maybe a little movie overrated, but I digress. Okay, I would absolutely suggest the movie. I'll probably watch it for Halloween. We should do that. That'd be fun. All right, so next on our list is Mothra. Oh, boy. Mothra was created in 1961. So this is like the edge of CGI, isn't it? Like, we're starting to get into CGI. Maybe. Well, like, very... I think the very... first CGI was, like, when they parted the Red Sea and one of those That's true. movies. I mean, this movie is super of its time um i watched the english version which i don't know who the voice actors were but i hope they were japanese because if they weren't those were very insulting accents (laughs) to start off with (laughs) granted there probably weren't a lot of japanese people hired in the united states to these things but whatever maybe it's like japanese people voice dubbing over this movie but one could hope but it's of its time so like i got i got over that you know so basically mothra is about um again spoilers for all of these movies mothra is about so this japanese like research team goes to this island i think to find some sort of species or they're like researching this island or whatever and when they get there they find out there's these like tribe of small people living there like, like fairy-sized people. Like, they're very small. But because it's made in the 1960s and there's no CGI at that time or very limited CGI, they do everything from, like, weird angles to make the people look really small. So it's kind of funny. Anyways, there's, like, these evil guys on the research team who capture these two girls from the tribe and force them to become performers in Japan. 
and they make a lot of money off of them, like singing performers and dancing or whatever. And because they're captured, the tribe contacts their like being they worship named Mothra. And this movie is so, like, this movie was clearly not made to be very accurate. Like, it's one of the creature features that's, like, it's giant bugs or one of the, yeah. It's about giant bugs, so you really can't, like, expect too much from it. Right. Like, the one accurate thing they have is that when they start worshipping or start calling for the moth, it starts out as an egg, right? And the egg hatches into a larva. And the larva pupates and turns into a moth. So they capture the whole metamorphosis thing, which but I thought... it happens all in front of them. What do you mean? Like it happens all in one scene, so like obviously... No. Separ- oh, no, so no, it is over time? Yeah, progressively oh, throughout better. the movie. So even I was like, better. that's actually pretty cool that they captured metamorphosis because I expected them to just have a moth hatch out. But anyways, Mothra is summoned to come save these girls. And Mothra is going to destroy, I believe it's Tokyo if the girls aren't returned to their home. Like, if they're in Tokyo, everything's going to get destroyed. So all these people get together. Or I guess there's, like, this one of the guys from the research team who's actually a journalist is trying to save Tokyo while also returning the girls to their rightful home. So that's, like, the gist of Mothra. There's not a lot of, like, accuracies just because, like, it's not made to be accurate. The cringiest part of the movie is there is some offensiveness in the skin color of the tribe people like it's oh they're clearly painted painted to be a different darker skin color oh my gosh that's i mean it was made in the 60s 1961 it was 1961 so it was they still shouldn't have done it i mean the girls they captured were fair-skinned but all the tribal people are dark skinned but it's it's japanese actors painting their skin like it's very clearly that they painted it so yeah that was probably like the worst part of the movie so how would you rate it i mean because it's a cult classic i i mean if you want to watch it like it's kind of cool to see what movie making was like at the time because it is one of those movies that uses miniatures to film because you know you can't buy a giant moth prop Right. Like, it's not practical. So there's, there's like, tiny plastic soldiers and, like, clearly toy cars and toy tanks. And it's really funny in that aspect. And it's very early CGI. So when people are cut into a scene, they're, like, they're glowing. That's funny. Yeah. So that's really all I have to say about Mothra just because it's not made to be a very buggy movie it's just made to be like oh giant moth coming to destroy Tokyo that's scary watch it if you're interested in cult classics don't watch it if you're interested in quality I'm interested in watching Godzilla versus Mothra that would be that would be a good one but yeah that's I'd probably give it like a zero out of well, like a 1 out of 10 for accuracy because it's got metamorphosis. They did did do the metamorphosis, so I'll give it to them. That's better because I'm pretty sure the rest of our movies are in the negatives for accuracy, at least the next two I have. (laughs) So my next movie is Ticks. The movie Ticks, it was uh, released in 1993, directed by Tony Randall, starring Rosalind Allen, Amy Dolenz, and Seth Green. Just a super quick summary on this one. Basically what happens is there's a bunch of mutant ticks and they violently rampage this group of teenagers in a small town. Um, 
we got a few things wrong in this movie. Uh, number one, there's a scene where a mutant tick's body is removed from someone, and then the tick's head burrows into the guy's skin. And that's not how that works. I know that, like, we tell people that if you're going to remove a tick, you want to use, like, rubbing alcohol or something so you get the head off. That's just because if the head is left there, you can introduce the a possible infection into the sight wound. It's not because the tick's head is just going to miraculously bury itself into the skin. Um, this tick's head stays there just because it has a barbed hypostome, uh, which is the part that's injected into the skin to suck the blood, right? That, that's it. There is no... Just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous <laughs> that that was buried into the skin. Um, they also, it's really important that they only suck until they're finished eating and then they detach. So why would they want to even burrow under your skin? They have no, no purpose to be under your skin. Feed, leave, wait for the next one. Uh, another one is there's a scene or a few scenes where the ticks jump onto people. Also very wrong. Mostly because ticks can't jump. There okay, is, I didn't know that. Ticks can't jump. There is no jumping from one host to another. I, I know that they are mutant ticks in this. I get it. But if I have a tick on my body right now, it physically cannot jump to you. What they, if it's like in a tree or like on grass? No. So what they do to get onto you is a behavior called questing. And it's where they attach their... Sounds like a Dungeons and Dragons it thing. It does. They really do. They're, you know... That'll be my next D&D character. They're going to be a... Make them a rogue. Make <laughs> them a rogue. No, so what they do is they attach to, like, the blade of grass or wherever they're at with their hind legs. And then they stretch their front limbs out and they, they wait for something to pass by and then they attach that way. But nope. No jumping from the grass to the person. You just got to... You have to brush by them to pick them up. Okay, that's helpful information. I thought they jumped. No, they do not. No jumping. So you guys can write that down. Ticks do not jump onto you. Um, now, ticks are especially scary to us as Americans because they are the most serious insect vector, or they're not an insect, sorry, arachnid vector, the most serious vector of disease that we have in the U.S. because we have eradicated malaria and those things. So what is What about like West Nile? Do you know where that ranks? Ticks are still beating it, and let me tell you why. Uh, so obviously we have diseases such as Lyme disease that we can get from ticks. Uh, we have Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever that we can get from ticks, both of which can have some lifelong, lifelong effects, both of which can make you very sick for a long time and can be deadly. And right now what's going on, and it's rare for right now, there's a new virus called Powassan. Um, it's on the rise, but what makes it concerning is because it's such a new virus, we have no vaccine and no medical treatment for it. So, uh, What does it do? Uh, it causes like encephalitis and things like that, so that's the swelling of the brain. Okay, not fun. Right, it will require hospitalization if you get it. 
you pretty much don't avoid hospitalization. Uh, and a lot of that does, it is because we don't have a treatment for it. And what I think is so exciting about Powassan is this could very well be a virus we see take hold in America in our lifetime. It's rare now because it's still up in kind of the northern areas. But as it starts traveling down, especially with... So is it in, like, Canada right now? Is that... Um, it's a, it's in the U.S. too. It's... So, like, the remember. very edge of northern United right. States. Right. It's up there. It's not because, like, what, we're in Iowa. We're in central Iowa. So it's not with us. Okay. The states above us it is. Uh, again, rare. But as global warming happens and tick seasonality gets longer we could see it start spreading down right. to us. The past couple of years, I've seen articles and, like, news reports that are like, this is a bad tick season. Like, everyone protect yourself. Like, I know personally that each year I spray something with permethrin. I can't guarantee permethrin is a safe chemical. Right. It's, I mean, there's a lot of chemicals on the market that are not safe, but we use them every day. But I definitely use permethrin because of ticks. Like, that's the only reason I use permethrin is ticks. It's- they're a serious problem. So, what about the uh, meat thing? Like, have you heard about like the meat allergy that ticks can pass on? Right. That's kind of. Is that? I don't know how true that is, or like how rare it is. That that's rare, and I, I'm not a super expert on it, but that doesn't happen very. That's not the most common thing. Yeah, I've heard it's like few and far between that right. contract that, and I believe it's the Lone Star tick that carries that one. Correct. And when we're worried about our Lyme disease, um, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's the brown dog tick that we're thinking about for Lyme disease. Okay. And I believe that's the one for Powassan, too. Interesting. So that is the movie Ticks. Accuracy rating? Accuracy rating, negative two. Negative two. Negative. uh, There was not much of it. They looked like ticks. They did look like ticks. Very big ticks. Very big ticks. I feel like I would be scared of that They movie. were very big ticks. But would you suggest people watch it? No. 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 All right. Do not watch the ticks. Do not ticks. watch ticks. Have you heard of the cartoon and the TV show, The Tick? No. It's a superhero based off of a tick. I only watched it when I was, like, really young, so I don't remember Bad exactly what it's about. to base a superhero off But of. he's, like, he's blue. <laughs> no, so, no. Yeah. Oh, I came across him when I was, I do know what you're talking about. There's he, a cartoon and, like, a real-life version. Yep, he showed up in a lot of my research, and I was like, that's not what I want. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. That is the ticks, or just ticks. Ticks, just ticks. So the next movie on our list is Them. It's a 1954 movie about giant ants that attack, attack New Mexico and Los Angeles. I personally really, really liked Them. Out of the three movies I watched, which is Arachnophobia, Mothra, and Them, I loved Them. Really? I did. And it's like, it's super 1950s because it's filmed in black and white and like all the acting is pretty traditional all the time. But it was really enjoyable as an entomologist to watch. That kind of surprises me. I just didn't think that a monster movie based around ants would be quality. So, like, to explain... me. Okay, to explain a little further, it's about how atomic testing in 1945 has created these giant mutant ants that attack the southwestern United States, again, New Mexico and Los Angeles. And what's really cool about this movie, just 
for movie value is that it was supposed to be filmed in 3D and in color, but I guess the rig to film it in color did not work. So they had to film it in black and white. Bummer. It was one of the first movies about nuclear radiation creating giant animals to come out. So this is one of like the gateway movies to creature features about like atomic animals. That's awesome. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Um, and then Leonard Nimoy is in it, but he's uncredited, and he's like a U.S. Um, Army staff sergeant in the communications room. So this is one of his movies, but we don't know he's in it. He's just uncredited. I guess he was in it for fun. You do what you do. So I really like this movie for its accuracies. Like, if I were to give it an accuracy rating, like, 8 to 9 out of 10, because you can tell they really put in work to make this movie believable but what so like to a normal person like i'm sure they would have no clue what ant behavior is actually like right but they do actually like talk about ant behavior in this movie as a means to like destroy these ants or like to get rid of them and it's accurate behavior that they talk about yes it's pretty accurate to at least given that it's a creature feature and moving creative freedom right they've stuck pretty much to how ants and ant colonies behave right so the first um thing they talk about is one of the indicators of like finding the ants is their ant mounds or like their tunnels you can have a mound or a tunnel which can occur both ways some ants make mounds some just have a tunnel some can actually have giant bulbous almost termite colony looking structures but like that's one it's not like they create some like giant nest above the surface that looks super ridiculous you know like that's something i would expect of right a movie like that the one thing that kind of made me laugh was they had footprints i guess when you're like a large animal you have a footprint but the footprint looked kind of weird it was definitely not an ant footprint don't know how to describe it i feel like an ant footprint would just be a line it's it's not it's not an ant footprint well, it's like a person footprint that'd I, be funny <laughs> i did try to look at ant footprints to see how accurate this how was how did you honestly find but an ant footprint there's, there's no <laughs> ant footprints out there is what i found and if you do have an ant footprint it's like a little dot in the sand so if anyone Anyways, has ant footprints please send us pictures <laughs> i digress <laughs> what's really cool is the movie follows um so the u.s government learns about this because the military gets involved and they're trying to keep it hush hush and they hire this entomologist to explain the ant behaviors so that they know how to kill the ants right he has this daughter that comes with him and the entomologist is like this older gentleman professor presumably type and he's really knowledgeable. I would believe that this actor was an entomologist if <laughs> to begin with by the end of this movie because it was that good. Um, so he talks about like family formicidae, which is ants. That that's their family. What's really cool is they use actual footage of ants um, really? to like as a portion of the movie. Not that they use the footage of ants to like CGI it, but when he's explaining the ants, they take real footage, real time footage of ants. And he's explaining what they're doing in the video and whatever he's saying is correct. I don't remember what all it was, but I just remember being like, hmm, that's right. That's pretty good. Like talking about defending the colony behaviors and stuff like that and pointing out the different ants in the caste system. So they clearly did do some work on this movie. And part of the movie's plot is that you have to find the queen ants to destroy the colony. So they found one colony and they destroyed it. But unfortunately... 
what they call a princess ant has flown out of the colony to create a new one, which does happen. New colonies form out of old colonies because a female has left to create a new one. And they're like, we need to find these princess ants before they become full queens so that we can, or like before they create a full colony and lay eggs before we can, you know, get completely get rid of them. So that was actually pretty cool. They talk about the mating behaviors of ants and how they go out in search of mates and stuff like that. The funniest thing about these movies is flamethrowers aren't only a thing, but guns against giant ants. I mean, I guess like humans, what are they going to do? Like right. humans it just seems pretty like much resort to when guns. When you say a gun on an ant, I don't picture the big mutant ant. I just picture like the little thing on the countertop that someone's right shooting. Like I, it got me thinking, though, like, oh, what if we actually did have giant ants? Like, how would the exoskeleton react? And, like, I was kind of being a nerd at that point. But anyways, I digress about that. They do have a pretty good strategy to um, kill the initial colony. They plan to um, use heat to keep the ants in the nest, to keep them inside the tunnels, right? They don't want them leaving the nest. So they're like, let's make it really hot on the outside, on the entrances, so that they don't leave. And then we're going to basically bomb the inside and blow up the inside of the tunnel and send, you know, explosions throughout it to kill the ants. I'm like, that's actually not yeah, a bad idea. Be, you mean you want to attack it at the tunnel level, I would think. Right. So I'm like, yeah, that, that makes total sense. Um, I really enjoyed the entomologist character. I want that to be me someday. He was really sweet. Um, Defending a town against an ant attack. Right, and his um, his daughter is like, let me investigate the nests. I don't want you going down there. And the military is like, no. But the entomologist guy was like, a trained observer has to do this. Like, you have to have interaction with your species, which I, I thought was pretty cool. That. That's, yeah. that's a good little, and I agree. You know, it also helps give the idea that you have to respect the animal, not just destroy it. Yeah. Um, so the ant species, they actually cite the species that really? it is. I'm probably not saying this right, but it's Camponotus vixinus Meyer, Meyer, something like that. But that's a real species of ant. So I thought that was pretty cool that they're like not just faking it, you know, like mutant spiders and arachnophobia that don't exist. Like they're talking about like, Radiation created this giant animal, which would never happen, but, like, if it did. Yeah, yeah, in the movie. And they pretty accurately described this ant. They had real footage of these ants, like I mentioned before, to talk about the behaviors. I really can't say anything bad about this movie. Um, The funniest part was, like, when the public starts to find out that these ants exist, one of the things that happens when the ants enter the city is that there's a sugar theft. They steal all oh, the sugar. That's kind of cute. I, I thought that was funny. Cute. And then I guess part of the plot is that these two kids get kidnapped by the ants. And this is when the military finally comes in and kills the final ants. And they use a flamethrower <laughs> to of kill course, them. That was, because what else would you do? They found the princess ants and their eggs and they killed flame them with a the flamethrower. But yeah they it was was a good movie i would give it eight and nine out of ten out of accuracy eight and nine out of ten we have no middle accuracies here it's no either they're wrong or they're pretty good oh and one other like super interesting fact so one thing they get wrong is 
that the ants make these noises. But I guess that's part of like making it a creature feature. Like you want them to be kind of scary or some indication that they exist. So the ants, you can hear them. They've got like this high pitched squeaking communication screech. And that, um, those ant calls were actually created through recordings of bird voice tree frogs mixed with other bird sounds, which was created by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. That's fun. So they actually like went to resource like scientific resources to create this movie. That's cool. I really appreciate that. Yeah. So that's them. Okay. So I guess we're on to our last movie, which is The Black Scorpion. Okay. So The Black Scorpion released in 1957, which might be our earliest one. I think so. Correct. Yeah. Yep. It was directed by Edward Ludwig, starring Richard Denning, Mara Corday, and Carlos Rivas. Uh, So, quick summary. Basically, this town gets a volcanic eruption, and the volcano uncovers a layer of mutant scorpions, as well as some other giant arthropods, such as they have like a giant inchworm. And these mutant animals begin to attack the town, um, and then the town attacks them back with tanks and projectiles and eventually kills, like, the main scorpion. Guns and flamethrowers. Guns and flamethrowers. The great equalizer of arthropods. The funniest part (laughs) is the projectile misses the first time, and then they got to do it again. It's just... They need to take a note from arachnophobia and get a giant nail gun. Exactly. They would have been better if it was a nail gun. But things going wrong in this movie... A lot. Again, a lot. First of all, and I couldn't keep a straight face for this, the scorpion roars. It roars. Uh, It's physically impossible for a scorpion to roar. Right. Most insects can only make sounds, or most arthropods can only make sounds externally. Exactly. I was like, these... Some do hiss, right? We have... Right. You have, like, spherical hissing, and you have, right. like, and the... Right, this one is stri- stridulate... Stridulation. Right, which is what you see in crickets and cicadas, and some tarantulas will do this stridulation. Uh, and so some scorpions do that, too. Uh, and that's achieved through rubbing their body parts together. Different body parts, depending on the arthropod, but... Definitely no roaring comes out of rubbing a body part together. So, at least they shouldn't. If your body's roaring, you should go get that checked out. Like, the most internal sound that I've, you know, heard of insects or arthropods in general making is, like, the death's head moth can make a squeaking noise by, like, moving its epipharynx. But, like, that's not a roar. That's, Still like, a, a squeak. <laughs> it's, it's not scary. Um... The depiction of the scorpion they have, they have these two very big eyeballs placed in a binocular position on the cephalothorax. So, also inaccurate. Eyes of a scorpion are usually placed at the top of the cephalothorax, um, and they can be located laterally, uh, but not on a binocular position in front. And if you guys, guys, Look up a picture of the scorpion for this movie. It's ridiculous. It's pretty funny. And, and they're like human eyes too. They're not 
an insect or an arachnid eyes. They're human eyes. That's what they talk about in um in them. The poster depicts humanoid eyes, but in the movie it's compound eyes. Good. Good stuff. <laughs> Black scorpion did not get that right. Uh, and even with all these eyes, a scorpion's eyesight still kind of sucks. So, Aren't scorpions, they mostly determine things from like light and dark and right, movement with their setae? Correct, yes. Um, another part is in this movie, they had the scorpions nesting in this layer together inaccurate because for the most part scorpions are solitary animals we see this rule being breaking in only two scenarios one is the bark scorpion will nest together when they overwinter or you'll find them together and the second is when scorpions are babies they will live on their mother's back and as soon as they leave their mom's back they assume an independent lifestyle but they will live together just in the case of being on their mom's back just when they're babies. Otherwise, scorpions do not live together. They can tolerate each other in some cases. I know desert hairs, desert hairy scorpions can tolerate each other's company, but if you want a healthy, happy scorpion, you will leave it on its own. So give us your accuracy rating again. Accuracy rating? Oh. Oh, okay. What about <laughs> watch it, watch it? Do you suggest we watch it? Um, I, maybe for a good laugh. For a good laugh, definitely. It looks ridiculous, the scorpion. It looks hilarious. If I you want a good the, laugh. the props, like, for them and stuff, I've, I ever became a millionaire, I'd probably buy those props and put them in my house. You're the only one. They're awful. <laughs> now, I would say that this one has been my most, like, PG one, so I think it'd be a good fun one to watch. It's just not accurate at all. Not even close, so I don't know really I don't really know what to rate it. Maybe that. there's like entomologists and arthropodologists out there who can get over these silly things. But we cannot. I personally cannot, cat cannot. It hurts. It, it does. physically hurts. <laughs> mostly for me it's mostly because they fearmonger, not fearmonger, but like they scare people. No, they kind of do though. I would call some of it fearmongering. They like scare people about the animals that we are fond of and that we work very hard to promote a positive image of. So like I think for me, when movies depict um, these things in a very scary light for people to make them fear them, that's that's it's, when I draw my line. It's not being progressive, right? And like for them, it wasn't about the ants being scary, like. In the movie, the um, one of the characters is like, we created this. Like, this is our fault that this happened, and they're taking responsibility for this monstrous animal happening. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool of them to, like, admit that it's their fault and that, like, it's not the I ant's fault, you know? I dig it. But anyhow, with these movies, some of them do use real, live animals. Right, and you know what I've never understood? How Because we know how we train dogs. Right, and we can we train so many animals for movies, but how on earth do they get bugs to do what they're supposed to do in a movie? So if you did want to know how to train a bug for a movie, you would ask Stephen Kutcher. So he is best known for his movies such as Working in Arachnophobia and Spider-Man, with I believe it was the Tobey Maguire one. It was the Tobey Maguire one. So. 
Stephen Crutcher is an entomologist who uses arthropod behavior to control their movements in movies, which is super cool because obviously you can't train a bug for a movie. Unfortunately, their their cognitive abilities do not stretch that far. No, they do not. There are instances where like you can train bees to do like reward like actions. It, it depends on your definition of training because there's habituation and things like that that they can pick up on. Right, but 100% for movies, the bugs are not trained. They are, their behaviors are used to create these movies. So like in the movie Arachnophobia, they have tons and tons of these um, wolf, or not wolf spiders, um, huntsman spiders. They used about 400 of them and they used things like heat to get them to move, but they also used things like invisible wires that directed the movement of these spiders. So like you could get the spider to move in a certain direction from four feet away. So one of the examples that um, Stephen Kutcher brings up is that he uses these invisible wires to get a spider to move from four feet away into someone's slipper, which I find pretty remarkable. That's awesome. Like the I, fact that you can even manipulate that, it's fantastic. I think that'd be my dream job, to yeah, really? work on movie sets with bugs. I mean, it would be. Who would have thought that that was a thing that you'd have to do or that you need to hire someone for? I'd, I think personally I'd want to be like, Steve Carell, come look at my bugs. Or like, Amy Poehler, let me put a tarantula on you. I think that would be like my dream, you know? And <laughs> Stephen Kutcher does mention that he does not allow the animals to be harmed by the actors. Which is a very important thing because it is very easy to disregard the life of an arthropod. Right. Many people think, you know, it's just a bug. You know, what's, what's it going to be if I squish one, you know? But unfortunately, that mentality has led to the endangerment of a handful of arthropod species. For example, the Indian ornamental tarantula, Pasolotheria. Was it? I don't remember the full name off the top of my head. Right. But, anyways, that does happen. Um, But he also mentions he takes precautions to make sure that the actors are safe, too. So, in one of the movies he mentions, there's a scorpion on an actor's shoulder. It's a desert hairy scorpion, which does have a pretty nasty sting. Like, it's not going to feel good at all. No sting's going to feel good, but this one's not definitely not going to feel good. He puts a cap on the stinger of the scorpion, which I am really glad they don't remove the stingers. Like Very important. You can't eat without the stinger, or they would have a very hard time having a successful mealtime without those stingers. Right. They use their stinger to catch their prey. So some people do ask, you know, about removing the stingers of scorpions or the fangs of tarantulas, but they need those appendages to catch their prey. You know, without their venom is not for hurting things necessarily. It's to capture their prey, to paralyze their prey, and to put digestive enzymes in it. Right, and if they didn't have it, they don't get to eat. So the gist of Stephen Kutcher's business is playing on arthropod behaviors to get them to act in these movies, which is so cool. He's created over 100 films, or he's been a part of around 100 films, and he's made a lot of success. I think he's the big name in movie arthropodology. At least if, you know, you got a bug job on a movie set, Stephen Kutcher's your guy. And if someone knows Stephen Kutcher, please send him our way. I would absolutely love to meet him. Oh, yeah. How awesome would a cup of coffee with a cup of caramel apple spice would be with him? 
right? Like, make me your prodigy, your protege. I will become the next movie entomologist. I promise I will make you proud, Stephen Kutcher. Anyhow, do you have anything else, Kat, to add to the podcast? Nope, I think we pretty much covered it all on our super spoopy episode. Our super scary, not scary, Halloween episode of Bugging Out About. So, remember to share this podcast with others and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts as well as SoundCloud and hopefully in the future other podcast platforms. You can also find us and keep in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook at Buggin' Out About and our website at bugginoutabout.wordpress.com. And we want your feedback. You can send us comments, questions, and even ideas for future episodes. You can send it all to bugginoutabout at gmail.com. That is B-U-G-G-I-N-O-U-T-A-B-O-U-T at gmail.com. And if you believe in arthropodology, entomology, education like we do, find us on patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, at Buggin' Out About, where you can pledge to be a member that supports the creation of our podcast. We'd also like to give a special thanks to our first sponsors, Tyler B. and April M. We'd also like to give a special shout out to AV, our logo designer. He's super awesome for putting our amazing looking logo together and more. So thank you so much to him. And another special shout out to the producer of our music, Brandon Song. And you can find him on Spotify under Brandon Song, no space. That is B-R-A-N-D-O-N-S-O-N-G. He just released his new single, Maybe in the Next Life. So check it out now on Spotify. Thank you so much for tuning in to our Halloween special. We'll see you next time.